This is Peter Holmstrom, and if you're a fan of Star Trek, check out my new book, The Center Seat, 55 Years of Trek, the official companion book to the hit documentary series by the Nacelle Company, which chronicles the history of Star Trek from the early days of Lucille Ball and Desilu all the way to through the end of Enterprise, featuring new and expanded interviews from Trek legends such as David Gerald, Rick Berman, Ronald D. Moore, Harold Livingston, Walter Koenig, Kate Mulgrew, Nana Visitor, Robert Picardo, Tim Russ, Brandon Braga, Lisa Klink, and of course, in Glorious Trekspert's own, Mark A. Altman, as well as the final interviews from Kirstie Alley and Leonard Nimoy, in addition to so, so many more. Pick up The Center Seat, 55 Years of Trek, available today in hardcover and digital wherever books are sold. to the briefing room. Welcome back to the Trexperts Briefing Room, where industry professionals curate audio commentaries with creators, creatives, and diehard fans of the Star Trek franchise. I'm your host, Peter Armstrong, a screenwriter and author. And I'm Lisa Klink. I wrote for Star Trek Deep Space Nine and Voyager. The doctors, in many ways in Star Trek, represent the conscience uh, or humanity of the captain. Uh but each one of these does so in different ways, uh, representing a counterpoint to the side of the captain that they might try or wish that they could ignore. Uh, McCoy with his constant counterpoints to Spock's logic. Uh, Dr. Crusher from TNG with her emotional tenderness, counterpointing Picard's rather cold demeanor. Uh, Bashir in Deep Space Nine with his lack of cynicism against Sisko's uh, learned cynicism throughout his life. The Doctor from Voyager with his high lofty perspectives on medicine and the rules uh, counterpointing Janeway's desire to sometimes forget them. And Dr. Phlox's enthusiastic wonder at humanity and life uh, countering Archer's occasional feelings that humanity is uh, one or two steps behind. Uh, these doctors remind the captain and the audience to what kind of captain that they should be and help guide the captains on their adventures across the stars. Uh, on today's show, we're Really honored to have as a guest, uh, Dr. Flox himself, uh, John Billingsley. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. So you have something exciting coming up on the 13th. Is that right? Yes, indeed. Um, I am a front man for an organization called the Hollywood Food Coalition here in Los Angeles, which does many wonderful things to help promote um, uh the the repairing of a frayed social services fabric, let me put it that way, through the medium of food. We serve a nightly meal. We also rescue about 3 million pounds of food a year and share it with about 150 other organizations to buttress and augment their meal programs. And to promote the organization and to raise money and awareness, every year in January, I co-host an event called Trek Talks, which this year takes place January 13 from 10 in the morning Pacific time to six in the evening. It's an eight hour digital, you don't have to wear pants. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's approximately 50 or so Star Trek luminaries, yourself included, Lisa, you'll be joining us this year for a Tuvix centric panel. Oh yes. Um, we are always featuring people both behind and in front of the camera. We have STEM scientists this year. We have a panel devoted to the appreciation of Nichelle Nichols legacy hosted by the Sci-Fi Sisters. We've got an hour long Picard season three panel with 
Jonathan Frakes and Todd Stashwick and Jerry Ryan and on and on and on. We've got a lot of terrific guests. It's a wonderful event. We're doing it for the third year. We've raised about $250,000 over the first two years for the Food Coalition. And um, please join us. Go to trektalks.net for information on how to watch. A wonderful cause. That's, that's so great you're doing that. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really cool organization, and uh, I could go on and on, but I, I know we're we're here for other reasons. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, so we're we're here today to talk about an uh, episode of Enterprise, one that Doctor Flox has a, a specific role to be had in. Um, we're going to be watching uh, season three, episode ten of Enterprise, uh, Similitude. In other words, the one where Trip uh, gets cloned. Um, so uh, we're going to get this queued up here and hit play in three. Two, one, engage. I hate it already. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wonder if uh, you could take us back a little bit here. Um, how did you, uh, t could you talk to us a bit about the auditioning process for Enterprise? Well, you know, they don't give you a lot of material um, if you're auditioning for a pilot. Sometimes you get the script. I did not for Enterprise. Yeah. So all I had to go on was one short relatively short three-page scene with the instruction that i should come in with a slight alien accent <laughs> it was a denobulan a creature that had never been seen a species that had never been seen on enterprise so uh i've told this story before and i'll make it short i basically came in and thought perhaps in moments of uh, joyous transport on his home planet perhaps he was a bird and he squawked <laughs> so i came in and i auditioned and i went blah 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 <laughs> and uh, lo and behold, I'm called back to network. I get the network uh, approval. I'm still squawking. Go to the first table read. I'm squawking with not a tremendous amount of commitment because I'm thinking they can't possibly want me to be a bird. But nobody's told me not to be a bird. <laughs> I'm not dressed like a bird. I'm not made up like a bird. But I've even asked Rick and Brandon, you know, they're inscrutable cats. Am I a bird? You know, should I be flapping in the backyard? Should I be working on my bird sounds? They kind of in their wonderful way of saying one, well, you know, like I can't <laughs> take that to the bank. So up until the very first day of shooting, I had no idea. And I finally, with James Conway at the helm, said my very first line in rehearsal, blah, 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 blah. And James said, quit fucking around, John, which was, <laughs> well, I was not a bird. So. But that got you the part. Uh, well, I don't know if they got me. It got me the part, or uh, they cast me in spite of the fact that they thought <laughs> I was I was fucking around in the audition. I, you never know. Rick and Brandon, who I adore, were 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 not immensely communicative, so yeah. uh, I had no idea. <laughs> I was ready, though. I believe me. I, you know, ornitho ornithological <laughs> history would have been made if they let me uh, do what I'd intended. You know, I mean, the the, the galaxy is a big place. Uh, yeah, you know. Uh people are probably everywhere yeah <laughs> uh yes here we are yes. this is always a point of controversy in enterprise <laughs> it looks great it so looks just great <laughs> yes i know i made uh i made fun of myself at one point with um chris black the writer mm -hmm. chris black sure saying everybody gets to run around in their underpants and i never get to run run around in my underpants <laughs> and uh and then lo and behold in season three he gets me naked and i'm running around <laughs> Without any pants at all. <laughs> much, I'm sure, to the audience's chagrin, they'd much rather hear more, see more of this than me. But <laughs> so, how, what, what was yeah. the makeup process like to turn you into flocks? About two and a half hours, give yeah. or take, and then forty-five minutes to um, uh, take it off at the end of the day. So, so as you know, I mean, you know, I was number seven on the call sheet, and 
not one of the pretty ones, so I wasn't used all that much. I had some good good stuff coming my way. In the episodes where I worked every day, it, it, it was stressful. Um, you know, yeah. they, they were 18-hour days, and, and the blue contact lenses I had to wear in my eyes were pretty sore by the end of the day. But for the most part, I thought I had a pretty cushy gig. I got to come to work and get into my pajamas and spend the whole day in my pajamas. For the most part, um, the makeup wasn't particularly uncomfortable. I didn't have a ton of techno babble, and I never had to be on the bridge. Oh, yeah. McCoy always was hauled up under the bridge for no reason. Like, <laughs> That's a good point. Like putting a Band-Aid on somebody, or don't you have other fish to cry? <laughs> I, I, I have never really thought about that, but you're right. I mean, uh, Phlox is very rarely on the bridge. Yes, <laughs> so. thank God, because as you, <laughs> as you know, the bridge scenes are interminable to shoot. Yeah. Uh, you can't get people into two shots, so it's just cover, 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 and then you've got the green screen monster, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm very, yeah. very happy to never be on the bridge. <laughs> yeah. Here we are on the bridge right now. There's the rumbling. Uh-oh. Rumbling gonna... is never good. Fluctuating yeah. is never good. <laughs> no. Now this season, we're watching season three here, and this season was uh, uh, Enterprises and Star Trek's, I guess, first real attempt to do a, a rather serialized season yeah. of, of television. Um, yeah. Were you aware of this going in, or was this uh, you just keep getting scripts and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, a... I mean, I was not a particular, I was not certainly not a member of the Cognoscenti when, uh, when I got cast. I had watched the original show when I was young, um, but I was not hep to all the other iterations. Sure, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I phrased that wrong. I meant like uh, going into season three, where the writers and producers were they like, we're doing a serialized season. This is uh, what we're doing, or was uh, it? I, um... I, I'm sure they were, and I was not. You know, nobody called me and told me. Gotcha. So. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> but after our ratings had really, I mean, they plummeted pretty quickly. To be honest with you, it's a miracle we survived for even four years. Going into season three, I think it was, um, you know. There was a general feeling that we were, um, we were, I, I won't say moribund. There were good episodes in season two, but that needed a goose. Right. Um, I have, I have decidedly, as I've expressed in the past, mixed feelings about season three. Aspects of season three, I quite like, and this is an episode that I think illustrates why season three worked. The nature of the crisis, it's urgent because we are on a life or death mission. That's the reason we have to eventually decide to, in fact, clone Trip. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen this, we're going to clone <laughs> just a few scenes from now. That said, the conceit that that horrible lizards from outer space have attacked the Earth and anything goes, you know, right. get them, right. no matter what. Right. At a time when we were considering invading Iraq in a post-9-11 world, I had, I had reservations about this season. Sure. Having said that, the way they ended the season, suggesting that in essence there was a, um, a, a an entity or entities behind the whole thing, was an interesting comment on aspects of of capitalistic imperialism that I didn't see coming at the beginning of the season. So I I, I will say that my feelings about it changed a bit as the season went on. Anyway, so now Trip is here, and um, uh oh. Poor trip. We 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 he takes a beating in this uh, series. He does. He does. That's yeah, the... but he also gets some good scenes, like the one we saw uh, at the beginning of the episode. Oh yeah, no, definitely, definitely. <laughs> you know, I, 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 you know I, I don't know whether I, as, as an old as an old fat character guy personally, I'd I'll forego the alien babes if I don't have to have fist fights. <laughs> yeah. 
That's my general attitude. Fair. Yeah. And he, I imagine it was a stuntman, but somebody had to be showered with a bunch of those rocks. Oh, yeah. all no, and, and, and these guys, <laughs> particularly Scott, but Scott and Connor both, I mean, they did a lot of their own. They did yeah. a lot of their own stunts. Yeah. Um, uh, Talking about a theme earlier for the season, I rewatching this episode to prepare for this, I was just struck by how present the the theme of this specific episode was you know we're talking i believe 2003 around this time so it was really when a lot of the discussion was being had about like stem cell uh research uh specifically yeah. from like aborted fetuses um, and i believe this was manny's first episode first episode that he wrote that's oh yeah great. that's great and uh you know i mean I, manny i think really just brought so much uh sadly for those of you who followed the show probably know this that Manny passed away recently of pancreatic cancer. Yeah. Um, yeah. I actually work with a number of people who on Star Trek, whose lives were affected by pancreatic cancer. My mother passed away from pancreatic mm -hmm. cancer. So I've gotten to oh, know sorry. my brother Juan Carlos. Uh, we do some fundraising work for a wonderful organization called Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. But in any case, Manny's contributions to the show, I think really allowed us to go another, another couple of seasons. I think some of the best episodes came from him and he certainly brought a wonderful spirit, um, a refreshing spirit to the show that I think it had been lacking a bit. No slam on Connor, on, uh, on Brandon and, and Rick who do, do a wonderful job, but uh, yeah. it, it needed a little bit of a fresh voice, I think. Yeah. Um, I know some of the things that people have said about this, uh, <laughs> this episode is that is like, how, how come Dr. Flox is always able to pull this thing out of his ass? You know, this, <laughs> you know should he even have it in the first place? Oh, I've got this, um, this secret. It's like, yeah. In another in another universe, he probably would have been in jail. But <laughs> it's I mean, it's part of the character's charm, though. He's not because he, he's not Starfleet and he's not, no, no, you know, this is all before Star. This is all before it, the Federation. So there's it, this it, is uh, frontier medicine. Is, it is, is true. And, yeah. I, and I love that about him. I love the yeah. fact that he was always he always preferred leeching you to actually. Wait <laughs> you. Yes, I was very pro leech. I, I thought, you know, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Bubble, bubble, toil and trouble. The cauldrons, <laughs> the leeches. I was all for that. Yeah. Uh, you said you didn't get much techno babble, but you got some medical babble once in a while, didn't you? Oh, God, yes, yes. So the endocrine system was always the one that would screw me up. It seemed like <laughs> any alien we ever encountered had a problem with its endocrine system. It's like, oh, I can never remember the endocrine system. Um, usually the hard part was simply the name of the species. Right. Yeah. But I didn't have, the, I mean, the line load that either one of... Uh, you know, our two leads, these lovely people in front of us right now had. Um, be number one, be number two. It's a tough gig. Be yeah. number seven is about as nice a life as you could possibly hope for. Isn't it? <laughs> Were you, um, you know, detailed question here, but I'm always fascinated by these sort of fine detail questions. But like, I, I know with like... Uh, the next generation deep space nine if you were number seven you still oft oftentimes had to be on set every day for reasons i'm never quite clear about but were you uh did you have to go in like five days a week as many as the as the leads no. were or? oh no no yeah. no i had a in fact i wrote a little song that i used to sing to my other castmates to piss them off day off six <laughs> days off and the check still comes <laughs> i had a second person i want to sing it to you dominic would usually not let me get past the first person um that's uh, beautiful no and in fact in the first year um they were very generous to me they let me um double dip so i i kind of s took sneak peeks oh there it is that thing that he's been it looks like a giant blanc mange yeah um 
Wonder Flocks didn't eat it. He'd eat anything that wasn't nailed down. <laughs> um, they let me double dip, so I would audition for other things. I I did quite a bit of work while I was appearing lightly in many of the first year's episodes. Mm, that's great. Uh, I began to you know maybe feature a smidge more in subsequent seasons, and uh, and I also was feeling like I was pushing my luck. I did a movie in Miami, and they let me fly back and forth, and it was a uh, not an, not a, not entirely inconveniencing. So I thought I'd better you know rein it in. Yeah, I want them to think I wasn't appreciative of the gig. Did you I'd also do things like uh, Comic Con and promotional events? Yes, I mean I was always eager to do. Um, my wife would tell you I'd go to the opening of an envelope if they're serving martinis. So it was, <laughs> I was delighted to. Oh, did we lose the picture here? Though? Oh, here no, they are. Just one, one of those act breaks. Yeah. Oh yes. The, my biggest fear in this episode was that I would drop a baby. <laughs> didn't happen thank fair, god man. i do love how nail on the head it is i feel like a a different show a less bold show let's say might have just been like we're, we cloned him and he's an adult out of you know out of some chamber or whatever you know some uh, yeah. growth chamber or whatever but here it's just like no it's like, this is a baby and we're going to mm -hmm. see this baby grow and yeah. The thing that I like the most about this episode, and the reason I kind of tend to point to it when people ask me what my favorites were, and I understand certain um, reservations people have about aspects of the science that strike them as preposterous, the idea that in a relatively short amount of time, this child could grow up and absorb all the memories, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I think what made this episode strong to me was that there was such tenderness on everybody's part. Uh, um, I thought this was one of Scott's strongest episodes, having to deal with the grief and the obligations of having made this perhaps deeply unethical decision. I love Phlox as a dad. I mean, he's got yeah. a shitload of kids. He's got multiple wives who have multiple husbands. So I think he's one of the things that struck me about this episode is this is something that he misses the most. Yeah. There's a certain kind of tenderness about uh, flocks in this episode that that meant a lot to me personally, even though I myself do not have children and, um, as I say, lived in fear that I would drop the baby. <laughs> yeah, it is nice to get a kind of a different side of a character. I, th I think that especially when, when they have kids on the show, that really does tend to to sort of bring out the humanity in all the characters. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. I was gonna say too. I love Flocks, and I think Tuvok does the same thing. But there's always this touch of somberness at times that they they're you know I mean well that you're able to play <laughs> that uh, uh, you know the longing for the family that you can't be with because you're on this mission. And I, I just yeah, I, I really exactly. appreciate that exactly. Yeah. And and there were there were I I didn't completely understand why they didn't really have the, uh, this kid. By the way, did a great job. All the all the different iterations of. Uh, of Connor, I think, did a really interesting job with the part, and I think they cast it very well. Um, another reason I like this episode is a tricky gig, tricky gig to uh, you know come in as a guest star and to be told you're playing a younger version of a series regular. Yeah, and to kind of pull that off. Um, I don't remember the names of the actors, but uh, I think we have can't remember if this is the last one before he turns into Connor proper. Uh, I don't watch the reruns very often, so it's always 
there is the uh, there's the one teenage the petulant teenage version which we're gonna petulant teenage yes Connor, okay all right one which is clearly uh having some hormones related to, to paul and i always <laughs> wondered about this episode why it was decided that that scott should stop shaving is it the, the, is it a reflection of his grief that he can't i can't even bring myself to shave i think it, i mean because it comes up a few times in season three doesn't it and i think it's uh i think it they're, they were trying to kind of roughen him up a little bit. Yeah, maybe. yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. I think it works. I think, it, you know, it's it's a great look. I, I, think, it, it, I think it does, too. It just makes yeah. me, it just kind of makes me laugh. It's like, well, then, you know, I don't know. He's not going to shave. Then maybe he shouldn't comb his hair either. <laughs> well, we don't want to get drastic. I guess, uh, I guess so. I just, <laughs> it's always the uh, interesting thing about Star Trek, and particularly this iteration of Star Trek, the part of me that sort of thought, oh, first ship, first time humans go into space, we're probably petrified. I would think we'd be having a lot of overlapping dialogue. There'd be there'd be a certain amount of, you know, what the hell? No, no, you don't. You don't even know what you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> they can't do that. And, and if no. there's anything that I sort of regretted, it's that maybe they backed off from some of the um, the clusterfuckedness that was kind of built into the fact that we had never been here before it started with we didn't trust the transporter the weapon systems didn't work the very first alien we encountered seemed to be barbaric and savage and it boggled the mind we didn't even know how to talk to them sort of think they kind of slid off of some of the potential scariness of the show a little too early yeah mind. i mean brandon and rick have talked uh at great length about how like they you know, the initial pitches were like it, it wouldn't even you wouldn't even have a view, a view screen. You know, it just you know it would be very much like a submarine, and you just wouldn't even know what was out there. Yeah, in the first and, season, they weren't even supposed to get into space. It was yeah, like and I, I think that's probably the better version of the show. But you know, the studio just wanted Star Trek. Yeah, and they so wanted it fast, and they, they didn't fast, get yeah. enough time. And and you know, to a certain extent, I think it's a little bit unfortunate that Enterprise sort of. Um, of course, if it had gone a year later, they probably would have gotten a whole different cast too. You know, you never know the people they get. They get because they're available at the time they're they're looking. So sure, yeah. I'd be living in a derelict shack at the end of town. <laughs> I feel like it's a wonderful life. It's like what would have happened if John Billingsley didn't play Doctor Well, He never worked after that. Life was a librarian. No, you had a long <laughs> resume before Enterprise. I really did actually. I really oh, come did. On. I was a, no, it's true. I was That's a theater funny. actor until I moved to Los Angeles in 1995, and I didn't get my first work until early '98. And this show came along in the year 2000. I guess I yeah, that's, that's fair. 90, yeah. I got the others in '99. Yeah, uh, I had done some film and TV work in Seattle, where I had a theater company, but um, but I I did not have the uh, resume that people think I had. I, I I grew up in the Northwest and know a know, know a couple of actors from from Seattle and it's oh. it's a different kind of you know it's I, I can see why you moved to LA it's it's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, a it's a nice little community up there but it's um, it's a lovely it's, community I had a theater yeah. company devoted to adapting fiction for the stage and, oh, that's uh, great it's it survived for many many years it just closed last year but oh uh, wow that's awesome but I uh, I realized at a certain point that my dream of being an artistic director was I was I was five to ten years away from ever taking a buck out of it yeah. and I yeah. thought you know, at the age of 35 I don't think I can wait that long I was making 10 grand a year yeah I know yeah. that feeling that's yeah. <laughs>
So when yeah. a, an episode with with like ethical dilemmas comes up, did you did the cast really talk about it? Did you discuss no. like no? No, it was a pretty unethical group to begin with. So <laughs> this was sort of, you know, I'm, I'm joking, of course. Scott was the most is the most ethical person around. Uh, but no, we didn't we didn't have table reads for one thing. Right. Um, so we didn't come together as a cast uh, ever, mm -hmm. it, except insofar as there might be some scenes in the beginning of an episode that might just coincidentally bring us all together on the bridge. And for all I know, maybe they were talking their asses off about ethics and I just wasn't invited. Yeah. I wasn't on the bridge, but I don't remember us ever really having any kind of, uh, you know, cast conversation about. Did that happen on Voyager? Did you feel that that happened on either any of the other iterations of Star Trek? Uh, not, not so much on Voyager. I don't think, because, because like you said, I mean, the, the entire cast didn't get together all that often, except, you know, of course on the bridge set, you know, most of the cast was there, but yeah, like the doctor didn't come to the bridge very often and, yeah. you know, Kess didn't come to the bridge very often. And so sometimes they, you know, they, they wouldn't really, I think, have a chance to, to talk to each other about what the episode was about. You know, what's interesting in this episode, I, I always forget that that we've got oh there he is cocky young trip <laughs> um, look at that swagger <laughs> yeah look at that swagger. Yeah, i know he's, he's really got a he's does a good trip um i forgot that we the ship was encrusted with barnacles and that that was the problem i'd forgotten what the actual problem was you always do in these episodes it's like the MacGuffin is always the one thing that you kind of go oh yeah right 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 that's the, <laughs> The other thing that I think made this episode so strong, I mean, I know there was there was a lot of, uh, even amongst the cast, I don't know whether Connor and Jolene necessarily thought that their relationship was a good idea, although I think they committed to it and played it beautifully. But um, to me, this episode, I think, might have been Jolene's strongest episode, and I, I think she did a yeah. wonderful job. But the nature of how she, and again, spoiler alert, the na the nature of how... It is the sim trip that keys her into her own feelings of of love. Yeah, for trip, I thought was very very interesting and clever, and then probably the thing for me, forest trees that I think fans sometimes when they're talking about this episode um, don't don't touch on enough. I, I think it's the heart of the episode. I I, I agree, and I I think there's such a. Uh... I don't know what the right word would be bittersweet, but also like there's such a, a, a it's a mind fuck, I guess it's the way to say it. How at, <laughs> at the end she kisses him, the yeah. same version of trip, but she does it kind of knowing that he's about to die and she'll never have to reveal that this ever happened. And it's just like, <laughs> wait a minute. When that scene comes up, that's interesting because to me, that was also for me, it, yes, it was something that she could give to him. But it was also the moment that you know that she's going to be in a relationship. If Trip survives, they are going to be together. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and that that is a I thought a very potent and beautifully played moment of decision for her. Yeah. I mm -hmm. wish Joe was more, uh, more in the world. Unfortunately, we've all kind of lost touch with her. Mm -hmm. um, she that's what happens when you marry a gajillionaire and have three children. <laughs> um, but. I would love to get her on Trek Talks, and I'd just love to reconnect with her again because yeah. she's a wonderful, wonderful woman. Yeah. Um, but she she has sort of a little bit vanished from the Star Trek world. Hmm. Fans ask about her all the time. Sure. Yeah, I'm sure. 
definitely think, you know, especially in recent years, as you just said, but like there's been such a, a reappreciation, I guess, of the, the whole series of Enterprise. So, uh, and a lot of people citing her character as being, yeah. having the, one of the strongest uh, arcs of the, of the series. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, it was a, she has spoken about this, so I don't think I'm telling tales out of school that it was a tough gig, you know, to kind of step into this role where you are definitely expecting to carry the, the, burden of of the sex appeal of the show yeah a female point of view which of course has you know it's is fraught in a thousand ways while simultaneously also having the chill of not just a vulcan but the chill of a vulcan who does not approve of humans and does not approve of this mission yeah um it was a very very challenging assignment for her and i think she felt that she didn't necessarily get the kind of um support she would have wanted um mm. she, she was young and might not necessarily have known how to ask for something that she didn't even realize she needed. Mm -hmm. But I, I know she, you know, was always very present and very committed in, in every instance. And I always enjoyed working with her and always thought she brought her a game uh, without losing her sense of humor. Um, yeah. I don't know what it's like. I have never been an ingenue, but I <laughs> know a lot of ingenues and, uh, you know, and and hunky leading men. I was on a show called Intelligence with the guy who, uh, what was his name? Um, oh yeah, um, I, I'm forgetting it. He he was the bad boy on Lost, right? Sawyer. Oh yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Josh Holloway. Josh Holloway. And poor Josh. I mean, he carried a little scale around to 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 weigh his food. You know. Oh, oh wow. He could only eat X Y Z grams of food a day, and of course they wanted him with his shirt off in every episode, and. It was interesting hearing somebody say, oh, God, another shirtless scene. Well, I guess I just won't eat the night before. Oh, my gosh. Um, not my problem. Yes. <laughs> but uh, you pay a you pay a price if you want to be a, a television star. There are exceptions. God forbid. William Conrad. God bless him as canon. <laughs> that canon. Jake but and the fat man. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, to me, these these scenes, I think, were they were, uh, you know, they were some of the finest work they did on the on the show. I thought. Agree. I'm glad they settled on this relationship too. I know, like season one, especially they, you know, T'Pol was kind of being set up as romantic lead for literally everyone in the show and <laughs> not me uh, not me <laughs> i did have a romantic partner ensign cutler yes which was yes. lovely and kelly uh, waymeyer i absolutely adored and unfortunately she had an undiagnosed heart condition and she oh, passed yeah. away said, at yeah. the ridiculously young age i believe of 37 38 oh my gosh very young yeah boyfriend found her on the couch when he came home and i think they would have made her a series regular she was yeah. i think so she, she, and it would have been interesting to have, you know, a little, a, a bit more of a, of a, a, a feminine perspective on this show. Well, I, I mean, I still think of that scene with Fox and, and her watching movies. It's, it's so touching, but it's also like, uh, it's a great insight into, into Flox's uh, life and Flox's yeah. culture. I mean, once you kind of swallowed the idea that, you know, somebody who looks like Kelly Waymire would be interested in somebody who looks like me, it's like, oh, all right, well, all right, you know, it's like, all right. Have another shot of scotch, just watch the television show. <laughs> Do you feel like you had a chance to really explore the character? 
Um, I, I really, I think we were very much simpatico, the, the writer's room and myself in terms of the soul of the guy. Hmm. Um, I never, with one or two tiny exceptions, felt that they were asking me to behave in a way or do something that I thought was behaving in a way that I, I didn't think was appropriate to the character or, or, or add something to the backstory that was like, the one episode where they kind of suggested that at one point had been a medic in the Denobulan infantry, I thought, the Denobulan infantry, I'm not sure I can quite wrap my brain around that. <laughs> but other than that, however, it's not the nature of the, it wasn't the nature of the show to go very deeply into the Denobulan society. It would have been right. interesting to visit Denobula. It would have been interesting to learn more about their culture. Anytime they did bring anything forward that was sort of, I think, an episode called uh, Night in Sickbay, which I almost picked mm. for this. Kind of a love it or hate it, hate it episode. I think fans sort of thought that it made the captain look sort of silly. Um, he's, he's obsessed in that episode with whether his dog is going to pass away, perhaps to the detriment of his work. Yeah, But it, it allowed the, uh, Scott and I to have a lot of time together, which I really appreciated on a personal level. And it gave you the most insight into Denobulan society. It's where you learned I had multiple spouses. It's where you got a sense of, of certain aspects of Denobulan culture. Yeah, uh, I would have loved to have had more of that revealed. Well, and I think that to go back to what you were talking about earlier, I think that was an episode that almost should have been more farcical in nature. <laughs> um, instead, it's played a little straight. And, you know, to your point about maybe there should have been more of kind of the, the horror of being in space for the first time. Like it, yeah. Enterprise in a way feels like more so than any other Star Trek show. It's it feels like they have the one kind of show they make. Whereas Deep Space Nine yeah. could, have, could have the I comedies. Could have the I way. definitely don't think that they, um, it, it, it didn't lack a sense of humor, but it was not by and large. And, you know, some of that, again, is I think the nature of uh, of what Jolene was asked to do and the burden she was asked to, to carry. I think Scott, because of Quantum Leap, also had, um, you know, a reputation as, as having great sort of Dick Van Dyke-ish light comic chops. And I think they wanted to pull against that. Right. Yeah. So yes, I do sometimes think that they, you know, and this sounds sort of contradictory, could have been scarier when they wanted to be scary and could have been funnier when they wanted to be funny. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know. And by season four, I think they actually do start leaning in that direction. You know, you have the mirror universe storyline, which is great. And you could just see everybody's having such fun with that. Um, Honor, but, you know. Unfortunately, Connor hated those. Connor hated that. Okay, <laughs> it, we because he said one day in rehearsal with Jim Conway that he was, you know, kind of not really quite knowing how to achieve what Jim wanted, and he said, "What do you want me to just be a pirate?" Jim said, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Connor was like, "But I was fucking around. I don't want to be a pirate. Don't let me be a pirate." So. That was an easy one for me because I felt like Dr. Flox is just joyful for the most part. So he was a joyful vivisectionist just as much as he was a you know humanitarian <laughs> when it's in his other realm. Exactly. You know, I, I love the mirror universe episodes. They're just always fun. I love the mirror universe uh, uh, credits. Yes. <laughs> yes. I thought that was perhaps the best thing we did in four years. I thought those, <laughs> those dark credits were fabulous. Agreed. Agreed. All right, so it looks like we've got the ship moving. All the crud's going to start coming off, but bad news. Bad news. 
I just love, I, I just, you know, I just have to applaud your performance here too. Cause I, I feel like as scripted, it could have been played in any number of different directions. And it, it, you bring such a somberness to it here. Um, and you feel like your, your character is really hurting at this moment. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's losing his kid, you know, on, on, on a, it, one of the things I also liked about this episode is, and again, I totally get the complaints that maybe from a scientific perspective, there's a lot of like, head slapping <laughs> which i guess is always you know a question on star trek of where people are willing to suspend disbelief and where yeah, they're... yeah. transporters me, are uh not real yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly for me what i liked about the episode was the fact that it suggested that you know you can fall in love in a moment in yeah. an instant yeah that the length of a life is not the determining factor of the quality of the life yeah um above and beyond whether or not it was or was not an ethical question to clone a human being knowing that they were not going to really have a chance to lead a full life that you were using that it was a utilitarian decision i think in the action of the script and the the episode you are told that a life matters regardless of its length because that's not the measure of its quality right um which to me some some sometimes i think kind of people lose a sense of its humanistic message yeah it's a very star trek kind of message that you know again that the different types of lives and different types of beings are not worth less just because say they they live less time yeah and he gets to make a very strong argument that you know it's that's that's easy for you guys to say, but I'm the one who's actually going to have a shortened life. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I thought, I just thought Connor, Connor and Scott were very, very strong in this episode. Right, I, right. I, uh, oddly enough, my inclination always is to land on the episodes when asked where I thought the actors just had the best whack at a pinata in terms of yeah. getting to, you know, play multi a multiplicity of colors. Some of the more action-oriented episodes simply don't allow for that. Um, this is a lovely scene. It is. I mean, in a way, it's, uh, you know, we were, we were discussing a bit offline how similar, in some ways, this is to the episode of Tuvix, where it's uh, a similar conundrum where uh, a creation is made out of necessity or, out, you know, in Tuvix's case, out of an accident. But it's like the philosophical debate in, in question is like, what is the value of this created life, you know, yeah. versus yeah. Uh, the the life of the, the person that you knew who um, in the moment no longer exists? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you ever go to the writers with story ideas yourself? Um, I think after Bob Picardo for seven years was jumping out of the flower bushes with story ideas, they uh, <laughs> they had the door locked. I'd like slide a story under idea under under the under the door, and they were kind of sliding right back at me. So uh, yeah, you know, Bob ruined it for the rest of us. I, well, I, I did. I did have a cut one story. Actually, the reason I suspect they locked the door is because they heard some of my story ideas. <laughs> so no. we, we pick up an abandoned a Denobulan ship in distress and we bring all the Denobulans on board and they're all like Oscar Madison. They just kind of like they're it's dirty dishes all over the ship and dirty underwear <laughs> fornicating openly. And they all look like me. 
<laughs> they, they basically at that point said, get out, don't come back. That way I would have been, you know, all the subsequent iterations of Star Trek would have had no choice. If they wanted a Denobulan, they're coming to me. <laughs> okay. A little job assurance right there. That's Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, it was, it's interesting, you know, because obviously if your cast is a Vulcan or a Klingon or an Andorian or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you're playing within existing parameters. Getting cast as an alien that has never been on this show before, it was it was an interesting, and I was cognizant of this early on that you know, oh, I get to I get to create a species. Yeah. If I'm hopping around on one leg, flapping my arms, every actor in the history of Star Trek, <laughs> I have to learn how to do the same thing. Um, which is probably why they said, don't be a bird. <laughs> probably so. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's definitely good tension to these scenes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I do love that. It's very it's very tender. Yeah, I mean, I, I was almost going to pick a slightly more Fox-centric episode because... <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> listening audience um there were some flock centric episodes that i did quite like um and god knows dear doctor an early one in season one um had an equally <laughs> perhaps more in fact um controversial uh yes ethical question but i i loved the episodes when i thought almost everybody on the cast in the cast had a chance to um to kind of shine mm -hmm. and although there wasn't as much for for linda and 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 anthony and um dom i i still think this is an episode that in my memory at least feels like one of the better ensemble episodes. no i i'd agree yeah i'd agree yeah there's really lots of lots of spinning plates in this episode so to speak oh yeah and it's uh yeah it, it has a uh it, it it has a heart and it has a fluidity and a movement too. And I mean, sometimes I think some of our episodes, you just sort of, you saw the, you saw the end early on and you weren't particularly emotionally invested. And so there was a little bit of like, you know, all right, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. There'll be a fight <laughs> scene. There'll be a battle scene. There'll be some photon torpedoes fired, you know, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, this this one just landed to me in a different emotional register. The uh, episode Cogenitor was another one that I thought, which again just used Connor very well. He's a wonderful actor. I yeah. really really love uh, Connor, and I I think probably all of us sort of expected that after this show was over, that if there was anyone who was going to you know be lifted to the Empyrean heights, it would be Connor. Mm -hmm. um, not that he hasn't had a lovely career, but uh, you know, yeah. He's somebody that I, I I think we we might have all thought would have gone on to you know to be on his ninth series by now. Yeah. Hmm. Was there anything with the character that you really wanted to do that you never got a chance to? I would have liked to have gotten laid. Well, sure. <laughs> Just one time. <laughs> one time in four years. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, there's always it, it's episodes like this, you know, where you always sort of hope that you have an opportunity to kind of go through a an interesting i'm going to let my cat in because he's scratching at the door yeah so, okay. amongst yourselves briefly i <laughs> guess i guess uh 
Flux does have the unfortunate distinction of being the only doctor in Star Trek that doesn't have a, a sex life, uh, which is too bad. But, well, I mean, he had a wife visit, and what did, that's he, true. what did he do? She chased after uh, she chased after Trip, and uh, <laughs> although that was actually one of my favorite scenes, I for a while had that on my reel. But an agent yeah. would be such, and my agent said, "Well, we don't want we don't want you necessarily associated with Star Trek." It's like, but oh, but yeah, you know how it goes. Yeah. So they, so they made me take take it off. But it was a scene where I tell Trip that he's nuts. There she goes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He's nuts for not. I shouldn't speak over this. I should let this tender moment have its. There you yeah. go. They're really they're they're beautiful together. They, yeah. they have such good chemistry. They really yeah. Do. Um, when uh, when I upbraid him for not going ahead and having Rose Petal bath with uh, Fleasel or Tweezel or I can't remember <laughs> her name. It's possible in the background you will you will hear the sound of my cat. <laughs> In its okay. box, just just uh, for those hey, of you okay. listening, thinking, what is that noise? <laughs> That's what that is. Yes, I did. Yes, you were. I hated this little scratchy suit. This scratchy suit always required us to go in and do ADR. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you guys had the same problem on Voyager. There's always like an occasional costume piece, which is like, can't they fix that? Why is they, that fabric so noisy? Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of ADR. Oh, well, they were ADR fiends. God forbid there'd be a single. I remember one early episode when the word was, uh, oh gosh, what was it? It was it was a word that had multiple pronunciations. I used the second pronunciation and uh, I had to go in and ADR it and you know, if you're an actor, your ear for ADR, it's like, it, it just, hey, oh, so I remember watching <laughs> that scene thinking, oh, why couldn't I just have production? And yeah. Instead, I got this one word that stands out like a sore thumb. Now, for our listeners, ADR is, um, I think it's automated dialogue replacement. Uh, yeah. I, I, that was additional, 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 additional dialogue. dialogue. But yes, uh, it's when you go in and then you have to kind of speak over the existing soundtrack to replace or augment language that they for whatever reason do not want to use anymore or, or there's yeah. a sound glitch or something i also this was a lavar burton directed episode this I, was yeah i wanted to bring that up uh what was that like working with him oh he's wonderful and you know i think lavar has a, had a real gift for um for encouraging and finding the humanity of the individual scenes um i mean everybody has their strengths and weaknesses there were directors who I think just shot it beautifully, but I think LeVar had a particular gift for, um, bye fake Connor <laughs> or, um, for giving the actors some, uh, you know, some, some real off ramp in their on and off ramp in their performances. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I don't really look at anybody from the you know directorial side with with any kind of like snark. I mean, I liked the directors we had for the most part all the way through. I can't think of anybody had any issues with, but I, I really did enjoy working with Lavar a lot. So wanted to make sure I said that. That's yeah. wonderful. Not just because I'm trying to get him on track talks next <laughs> year. <laughs> He's shooting NCIS Hawaii right now. So oh, is he? Yeah. Wow. Uh, 
Well, uh, listeners out there, we reached the uh, end of the episode. Um, such a pleasure that that really moved very quickly. That was uh, yeah. Got to the end, I was like, "Wait a minute! Didn't we just start recording?" That's, um... I, you, know, I, you know, I'm a practiced gas bag. <laughs> That's wonderful. Um, so, what, what are you doing these days? Um, you know, so much of my last seven years have been devoted to the Food Coalition. When Trump won, that was for me a you know, as it was for many of us, I'm sure, such a slap in the puss with a cold fish in terms of what it suggested about our society and about our values. And my my sense, having always been involved in social service organizations, was that it was time for me to kind of dial that part of my life up because I wanted to respond to somebody who was hateful and vengeful and cruel with something that felt, you know, motivated by, by compassion. Yeah. And so um, Bonnie... And I started doing a lot more of what we've always done, but um, in terms of of amping that up, this, the the work with the Food Coalition was really about extending their capacity to help and generating more revenue and building their board and building the the community bonds. And it's been a significant part of my life. For a while, I was the volunteer uh, co-executive director of the organization, and I was the board president for a number of years. And I just basically told my agents, it's like, look, for a while, let me be offer only. And then you find out nobody's going to make you an offer. So oh, <laughs> yeah, quasi, uh, quasi retirement. I came <laughs> off of that posture. Now I, I work, but I, I'm also, I'm older. Uh, I'm, I don't need the dough. I'm not as ambitious. So it's, uh, happy to, happy to work when the work is there. And otherwise I'm, I'm, you know, happy to do what I do. Hey, that's wonderful. Um, if listeners out there want to uh, get in touch or, or learn more about Trek Talks, um, is there a website or social media handle? Yeah, so for Trek Talks, I'd say check out trektalks.net, and that will give you all the information you need to know about how to watch the show. We also have the first two iterations, Trek Talks 1 and 2, up on YouTube, So, and number 3 will live on YouTube. So even if you're not available on the 13th, you can always turn on and watch. Um a lot of folks, I will say, just parenthetically, who have commented to me over the course of the last few years, uh, which I really appreciate hearing, have said, in essence, I've never really been able to go to a convention before. They're expensive. They're not usually close to me. This is the, the closest I can ever imagine going to a convention and having that experience, uh, which uh, is above and beyond the fact that we generate revenue and attention for the Food Coalition, um, something that I'm really happy that this achieves. Um, oh yeah, it's definitely a virtual convention. Yeah, and I don't wear pants. Uh, you know, as, <laughs> as I say to everybody, it's like, hey, you know, no, but you don't have to dress up. You don't have to comb your hair. You don't have to brush your teeth, unless you want to call some friends over and actually make it a party in your house. This is, you know, the only disadvantage is that you're not going to get a, a chance to go carouse with your buddies after it's over. But you know, yeah. there's a price to pay for everything. Um, <laughs> And uh, for the Hollywood Food Coalition, you can check us out at hofoco.org to learn about what we do. Um, I gave you the, the real tiny skinny on it. We've been around for a long, long time. We do a lot of great things in our community. And if you're ever in Los Angeles, we're very volunteer-oriented. We've had thousands and thousands of people come in and volunteer to cook and to serve and to help us process and share food with the community. And my wife and I also run what we call the Sunday Sack Lunch Initiative. Mm. We've had uh, a variety of people working with us down the last four years, making and putting together marvelous multi-element sack lunches 
which my wife and I, with a number of volunteers, help process, in essence, sort and collect, and then spread across the city. We've done about 700,000 of them. Uh, so people are always on a Sunday. If you're in Los Angeles, give me a jingle. I can be best reached probably at jbillingsley60. I'm still uh, on uh, on Twitter. I will not call it X, and I really don't want to be on Twitter anymore because of the fascist. Well, yeah. But it is the methodology by which I raise awareness for the organization, and I don't take pictures, so Instagram is not a good fit for me. Mm. So. Yeah. All right. Well, there we are. Uh... Hugely long answers to <laughs> short questions, which is my, my won't. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, John Billingsley, thank you so much again for being on our show. This has been uh, such a pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, uh, listeners out there, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us at uh, TrexpertsBR, uh, still on Twitter. Uh, we also refuse to call it X. And uh, Trexperts Briefing Room on Instagram. Um, so for Lisa Klink and myself, thanks very much for being here. And until next time, the briefing room is now closed. <laughs>